From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for December 27th, 2019. Um, this is going to be a couple different things. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk gambling um, because the fantasy season has concluded. Are, are you someone, Danny Flecka, who joins us, obviously, to talk gambling and football? Are you somebody who plays postseason fantasy? I am not, no. It's just that... Uh, too many variables. I mean, I'm sure some people do, and it could be fun for some people, but you got to pick right if you expect. I think those fantasy leagues usually are one-time thing, that if your players go out in the first round, then you're kind of left with nothing. So um, I'd rather sit back, watch, and, and you know, look at games individually and see where I can, I can make money that way. All right, so a couple things here. Um... Uh, just before we get to the gambling part, we have Antonio Brown working out with the Saints. Now, the Saints and Sean Payton want due diligence um, on Brown and also Maurice Harris and other wide receivers in case they have an injury during the playoffs. My point is I thought Antonio Brown was toxic and would never play another down in the NFL. And then you see on social media that the name Colin Kaepernick come back up. So is this Sean Payton and the Saints being smart, or is this them walking into a potential mine hole and giving themselves a useless distraction for no reason for somebody who's probably ending up on the commissioner's exempt list if he even gets signed in the first place? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, when, when you're doing your due diligence, you want to bring in the best available players in the case of emergency type of situation. But I also think it presents a look into next season, just seeing what happens with him. You know, I think Antonio Brown's going to get a second chance or third chance, whatever chance you want to want to label it. Where it's going to be, who knows? But this could be them potentially looking at the future rather than the, you know the immediate present with the playoffs on on deck. Um, what's interesting to me also about this is that if we take away the, the all the off the field stuff, if we just look at this from a pure football perspective, the guy hasn't played since early in the season. And what the Saints, I assume, are trying to do here is they believe they'll be facing better defenses in the playoffs and are trying to give themselves another threat to go up against Michael Thomas so that he doesn't get doubled every time. Uh, so from an X's and O's standpoint, how big of a help would that be for the Saints? Do you think they even need the help? And what would you do about defending Michael Thomas, who has just been ridiculous for them all season, and for Drew Brees? Yeah, I, I think if the Saints got a buy and they hypothetically signed Brown, uh, say they signed him today, and he's on the roster for the playoffs, and he has this week, the following week, and then the week leading up until the divisional round to get caught up, you know, there's a chance that he could be pretty productive for them. You know, we, we saw what he did with the Patriots and, and being in there for a couple of days and then was able to be thrown out into the fire and catch a couple of passes and touchdown in that game uh, when they played the Dolphins. So, you know, there's a chance that if he signed that he could participate, you know, in practices and get caught up to speed fast enough for the divisional round to make an impact. You know, if they're playing the first round and... You know, if he's not available or he is available, I don't know necessarily what he does, but I, I think if you had him out there 
it does change, I think, the look that you would get, even if he's only giving you, you know, 20 snaps or so. As far as defending Michael Thomas, it's been shown the last two years that it's pretty difficult. He had a, has 144 catches already this year, broke the single-season record, seems to get open on every single route he runs, whether you double or, or, or uh, triple him. And I think what makes him unique is that he's not necessarily a wide receiver that you can take out of the game because he runs long routes. He's a very intermediate to short pattern type of wide receiver. You know, double teams tend to be over the top, so, you know, you can fit those routes in between them and get those positions open for him, which it seems like he's able to do on a consistent basis. And he's such a precise route runner that even when you think you have him covered, he's able to shake free. And it's pretty unique for a guy who's not a, a burner, doesn't take the lid off the defense. So I think if you're playing the Saints from an offensive perspective, there, there are two things that maybe you would rather focus on. That is getting pressure on Breeze so he can't complete those short passes. Um, and taking Alvin Kamara out of the game, specifically in the passing game. And Kamara last week scored his first touchdown since week three. So as far as like a production standpoint, he hasn't had the same sort of season as he has, has had in the past. But if I'm playing the Saints, I'm maybe looking at other ways to stop them. And I think that's getting pressure on Breeze and, you know, taking Alvin Kamara out of the passing game. That, that essentially would neutralize that additional threat and, and force Breeze either to hang out to the ball longer, forcing the Saints out of their game, or... Um, you know, getting breathe on the turf and not even allow him to complete those passes. Ton of Danny Flecky here as we look towards uh, the playoffs. Before we get to betting, let's talk about the Houston Astros for a second. We're both Yankee fans. We now know that this is pervasive cheating. We know that this was systematic, that it went potentially through the clubhouse. Um, these are Sorry, uh, uh, through the dugout, these are pretty serious accusations being thrown around here to the Astros organization. A, how do you feel about it? B, what should the punishment be? And should A.J. Hinch be fired if indeed this involved some kind of dugout to clubhouse to the tunnel between the two communication? Yeah, this, this is a situation where what's happened has happened. You can't go back and, and fix anything that's happened. It, it reminds me a little bit of Bounty Gate, you know, with that season with the Saints. What happened happened. The results are there. They're not going to go back and replay the game. Those situations are over, and, and there's nothing you can do to change that. Moving forward, you know, baseball has a lot of other issues that you need to worry about. This just happens to be one of them right now. And you have to look at and see what the, the proper form of punishment is, whether that is firing A.J. Hinch or not. I'm not necessarily sure that's the right move. But I'm sure there could be some suspension handed down from a player perspective, from an office perspective, you know, maybe even A.J. Hinch. But as far as what has happened, it's happened. It's best for us not to dwell on, you know, the results of, of what happened. But maybe moving forward, ways to prevent that from happening. But baseball has a history of this. Uh, pitch stealing, sign stealing, whatever you want to call it, isn't anything new. And it's really just up, up to baseball to figure out a way to, to limit it as much as possible. Um, all right, so we look to now the betting and gambling world. And we will start with the two college football playoff semifinals tomorrow. This is an interesting situation because it's the playoffs. you got to be careful. There's not a lot of 
I mean, look, the University of Miami got shut out last night by Louisiana Tech. I mean, uh, you know, how bad can it get, basically? Um, And obviously there's some gamblers who knew that Miami might come out flat and it paid off for them, but it's a risky world out there. 13 and a half for LSU over Oklahoma, 76, a very high over under. Let's take semifinal number one. What's your read on that from a betting perspective? Yeah, this is a tough game to go after because there's a couple of things going on with Oklahoma that that make you pause and and rethink what's going to happen. I think LSU's offense is phenomenal. You know, they've had three good wide receivers. The running back is, is questionable right now, um, but you know, take him out of the equation. You know, they saw three good, really three really good wide receivers and a, and a Heisman winning quarterback that's completing passes at over a seventy percent clip. Their defense has been much much better the last month of the season, and they're going up against an offense that predicates itself on spacing and speed. Uh, and by speed, I mean uh, pace of play. I think LSU is going to really focused on the defensive side of the ball and limiting Oklahoma, slowing the game down for them on the defensive side of the ball, getting after Jalen Hurts and limiting his mobility. Uh, that's the one thing I think they can keep Oklahoma in this game is if you see Jalen Hurts extend plays outside the pocket, they got to keep their down, their down and longs, etc. With that being said, I think the number, the total is really high. 76 points. It's a really big number, especially in these types of games where things are a little more stressful of the game. Teams tend to slow down just a little bit, make sure they're executing properly, they get the right play calls in, in hand. Uh, you know, shot plays are, are still available for both teams, but they're probably going to be taking less just given you know the risk involved with them. So I think when, when I'm looking at it from that perspective, I, I think the under at 76 points is, is the play I would go with. Oklahoma was something I was looking at as far as the play. I think 13 and a half points is a lie in this type of situation. Uh, we saw that Oklahoma was like 14 point underdogs last year against uh, Alabama. Alabama got to do a big lead and Oklahoma kind of came back for a bit to keep that game you know, within respectful uh, distances. But I, I just think Oklahoma is going to be continuing to chase this game and, and LSU is going to be looking to slow it down and, and get ahead and make Oklahoma chase them. And in the second game, we have Clemson, Ohio State. It's Clemson two-point favorites. The over-under is 62.5. We talked about it the other day. I think this is a down-to-the-wire game. Um, and, you know, can Trevor Lawrence and company respond correctly after not being tested all year, blah, blah, blah. You guys know how the script works from, from our conversation two days ago. But from a betting perspective, when you look at something like this, a game that everybody thinks is going to be close. A game that that you know you got two thirteen and zero teams with a line that close. Is that just one that you run away from? I don't think so. I think you know from a gambling perspective, you know this is a game you're going to watch. You want action on it one way or the other, and you've got to hope that you're on the right side. You know when I have been looking at this game, I'm throwing away what's been done in the regular season. Clemson can't help who they play. They play who they play, and that's all there is to it. Texas A&M was the top team that they had on their schedule this year. Uh, they weren't as good as they were supposed to be. And Ohio State was, was arm's length uh, better than any team in the Big Ten. But when you look at the construction of both of these teams, when you look at the coaching staff, 
when you look at the time that's been afforded to both teams to prepare, I'm simply going to go with the best team, in my opinion, and that's Clemson. They have playmakers at all levels on offense, a quarterback that has been there and done that. You know, he already has national championship under his belt. Went 2-0 and last year in the college football playoff, uh, including an absolute uh, amazing performance against one of the best teams in college football last year in Alabama. And I'm just going to go with them. I think that Boston's offense has enough to get the match, you know, get the match if they want. Oklahoma's defense is playing much better this year, but has sort stumbled a little bit against better offensive teams. But, you know, that Ohio State team hasn't been here before, hasn't played these teams before. Uh, the coaching mismatch is real. Ryan Days has been a great coach for Ohio State this year, has not been the head coach of a team in a college football playoff. And I don't know if I trust Justin Fields enough on uh, Ohio State to make the big plays and big throws um, just to keep Ohio State in this game to cover the two and a half points. And with a line like that, you've got to take the team you think is going to win. I think Clemson is going to win. I think they're going to win by seven, seven to ten points. Interesting. We shall see if that plays out. Obviously, Ryan Day, first time at a big spot. And as you said, he'll be tested. Interesting. Clemson by ten is not a... Not an opinion I've I've heard. I've heard Ohio State by ten or Clemson close. I've not heard a lot of Clemson big, so that would be an interesting uh, thing. We're talking betting here with Danny Fleck on teeing it up. All right, now we move to the National Football League. Unless you want to talk betting for um, Western Kentucky, Western Michigan in the first responder bowl, would you like to talk that game? I, I would not. Okay, so let's move on. All right. Week 17 in the NFL, we've got all kinds of different agendas going on. We have a game, um, uh, you know, Falcons-Bucks that just is completely irrelevant. Bengals-Browns, completely irrelevant for the teams involved. Then we have a game like Ravens-Steelers where John Harbaugh is resting everybody that he possibly can and it means everything for the Steelers. So, we've got a whole bunch of different agendas. So, just overall, before we get to specifics, overall, what is your Week 17 betting mindset, philosophy, what, however you want to call it? You obviously want to try to find the games that you have value in, and it's really tough to find those games when, you know, half the plays would be teams that aren't buying for playoff positioning, etc. But there's still enough data that we've gathered throughout the year to, to figure out which game can provide that and there are a lot of games I think this week that do that and you might have to go unconventional or, or go against the grain a bit and not necessarily uh, back teams that you would normally back you know in week 14 or week 10 whatever it may be but there's still a lot of value on that board and it's just about finding those right games and finding those matchups and maybe Having teams that historically you bet on and you can understand the flow of how they play. So I, I took a look at the board last night just to kind of get another glimpse of what I was going to be you know, looking into going into the weekend. And there's still a, a good amount of stuff that's there for you to make uh, some, some bets on. It's just about finding what you think you're comfortable with. All right. Now, but now one last thing before we get to specifics. We have a ridiculous line for the Pats, 16 over the Dolphins. With an over-under of 44.5, if you take that as is, just as is the over-under, let's just round that down to 44, 
That means that the Pats win essentially 22 to um, 6. Can this Pats team put up 22 points? Or are they banking on Ryan Fitzpatrick making mistakes? To me, that line, I look at that line, and that that would rely on the Pats being so desperate to get to one that they play really hard, the same way that the 12-and-a-half line for the Packers over the Lions, same concept, same, same concept as 13. So desperate to get the seed that they just go out there and put on one of the best offensive displays they have all year against the Dolphins, Lions, and Panthers, respectively. When you look at a line, and especially that Pats line, for an offensive team that has struggled all year, what's your initial reaction? To me, about right. If you're the Pats, this is a game for you that you need to work out some kinks. You still need to figure out some of your offensive identity. You need reps, uh, depending on you know which way you want to take your offense moving forward. And the Dolphins are what they are. They're not a good team. They're replacement level players and it's the last game of the season in New England where it will be a little bit colder um, and, and the motivation might be down whereas the Pats need the game to get the reps and get the, the game plan in place for, for them moving forward they don't need to win as well to lock up the number two seed and you know it's a situation for them where this game is really really important they need to come out and, and be efficient and be effective because we saw what happened to them last year they sort of changed their offensive philosophy uh, at the end of the year, and they used the last two games of that schedule to refine it and to make sure that they were good heading into the divisional round. So I can see them doing a lot of that tomorrow uh, on Sunday as well. Refining what their new offensive philosophy might be heading into the playoffs, working out some tweaks on defense, you know, uh, maybe making sure people's roles are, are clearly defined and understood as they head into uh, a divisional round game that could be really, really tough for them, and they haven't had that in, in a lot in the past. Um, all right, so let's dive in here. The the betting games that you like for Week 17 National Football League. Yeah, so we'll start with the 1 o'clock slate, or from what I can remember from the 1 o'clock slate. I like the Atlanta-Tampa over. It's 48 points right now. Um, I, I like that over. I think both of these offenses can produce. It's going to be... Uh, you know, with two quarterbacks that are looking to finish off the season strong. The thing that worries me a little bit is Jameis Winston still prone to turnovers, but, you know, usually that means he's throwing a pick six here, so he might get six three points, uh, depending on, you know, where he's throwing the interception. But I like the over in that game. Tampa uh, this year has hit the over a ton. Uh, that offense is exciting and explosive. Uh, Atlanta's defense has been a little bit more, uh, I want to say, productive the last couple of weeks. But I still think that game has a lot of points in it, so I do like the over in that game. Um, the Jets are plus one and a half against the Bills, and I like the Jets this week as well. Buffalo does not have anything to play for. They, you know, would be wise for them to, to play their starters, play as if they're they're heading into the playoffs or trying to earn that that last spot in the playoffs, pretend like they didn't get in. But I think they're going to err on the side of caution, especially with a quarterback and Josh Allen who likes to get outside the pocket. You don't want to take an unnecessary hit. And the Jets are looking to finish strong in the close of the season. So I, I like the Jets this week as well. Um, and then the Packers at 12 and a half. You mentioned them just briefly uh, a moment ago. 
but I'd like them at 12 and a half. I think Detroit's team is what it is. It's not very good. Their defense has regressed tremendously this year. They're starting a third-string quarterback. They can't really produce much on offense. Uh, the Packers, as you mentioned, you know, they're fighting for that seed. They, they want to be able to potentially have the playoffs go through Lambeau. And they're also another team, you know, they played well on Monday night. But they still need to require some things on offense, get those reps in, make sure they understand who's going to be contributing for them on the offensive side of the ball. So I expect a big performance of the Packers offense this week. And then heading into the, the 4 o'clock game, uh, one of the games that I like a lot to speak to is the Giants at plus 4. I understand the Eagles need to win. I, I, I think they're going to win. Uh, but I think it's going to be a close game and it's going to be a hard-fought game. Uh, the Eagles are playing their fourth divisional game in a row. Each of those divisional games have played a bit hard, emotional, fought game. Came back against the Giants to win overtime. Came back against the Redskins to win uh, at the buzzer. You know, gave everything they could last week against Dallas. This is going to be a, a tough game for them, and, and I think that the Eagles are going to slog through it, just given the fact that the last month for them has been playoff mode and emotional and exhausting, and the Giants are, are playing with, with, you know, house money, and they're going to look to try to keep that game close to, and force the Eagles' hand a bit, so I do like the Giants this week as well. Um, Alright, so does that mean that you don't like every other game, or is there something that you are considering and just have, you know, it'll be a last second decision if you put money on it or not? I think there's value in some of those other games, depending on which way you want to go. I think the Bengals are, are, are a good pick. You know, if they're a team you want to back, which they've been tough to back, given their, their season. Uh, but a divisional game for them to close up the year at home against a team that's been in turmoil for, who knows, the last three months. Uh, the Bengals could be a team that you can look at look at back, um, you know, in that situation. And then, you know, if you want to get get cute, potentially the Saints. I think that spread's high. I think the Saints are going to try to just win that game and then go from there. I don't think they want to exhaust too much resource, too many resources in that game against Carolina. Uh, but, you know, the board is kind of tough to get into the situation that we find ourselves in with some of these teams. Um, you know, and given that they're all divisional games, you just you expect these, these games to be close, to be tight, to be hard fought, even if you have nothing to play for. Um, the ones I highlighted, I think, just present certain situations where there could be uh, value in. All right. Uh, one last thing, just from a, a novice's perspective. When you have the Steelers, who clearly need to win this game, the Ravens who are resting everybody, and yet you've got Delvin Hodges in there. And I can tell you, Duck was not very good for most of that game against the Jets last week. Um, now, the Steelers lost because of other reasons, but... That didn't help. Mason Rudolph kept the minute until Duck had to come in late um, after Mason got hurt. When you look at a team that has to win, that has found a way to win all year against a team that's resting their starters, and yet the people who are actually playing for Pittsburgh are unproven, even though their in-season track record has been good. How, how do you view a game like that? Because on paper... This, this should be an easy win for the Steelers, but nothing for the Steelers this year has been easy. Yeah, it's tough, because even though the Ravens might be resting people, they're resting a couple of key players. They're not resting their entire team. They, they only have 46 players they can choose from, and a lot of the players they're going to be playing 
activity at some point in time in the season has given them uh, production. Obviously, not having Lamar Jackson in there it does does make you wonder, you know, what way the Ravens are going to go. If they're going to be just really conservative, run the ball 40 times a game, maybe have long thing drives. Hope that the Steelers make a couple of mistakes that allow them to score points. Uh, you know, so so that's where I think the Ravens are going to go with it from the Steeler perspective. I understand everything that they need to do to win that game. It's just they've been tough to watch offensively this year. Um, you, you have to hope if you're the Steelers, you get some short fields, the defense steps up and controls that game, and, and then you get a couple of breaks here. But the Steelers have been playing with uh, second-string players at all their important positions on offense, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver for most of the season. It, it's going to be tough for them, I think, to – to generate enough organic offense, you know, that means like starting at their own 25 and, and sustaining drives for most of the game. So I think that's going to be a close game. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the, if the Ravens won. Uh, but, you know, funnier things have happened and the Steelers do have a lot to play for, but I, I don't know if they have enough of the execution standpoint on offense to make it happen. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how they perform in a big spot. On Sunday, Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up. We'll see you next week for the wild card round betting I, uh, betting suggestions and picks. Sounds good, my man. Have a good day. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.